This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad. You are on a Monday drive. I'm sure there are a lot of Carolina Panther fans happy that Julio Jones is no longer in the NFC South. As yesterday, he became a Tennessee Titan. We'll get to that in a second. I just learned today the Bachelorette premiere is tonight. I'm a huge fan of the Bachelor and Bachelorette series, which you might be surprised, Josh, if you are a big fan of those series. How did you just find out that Katie's season is later on tonight? A lot of stuff going on in sports. I think our calendars have all been messed up for when things are supposed to happen due to COVID and the Bachelor and Bachelorette series. No exception to that. So Robert and I were diving into a number of these contestants. You want to give the people a quick preview, Robert, of some of these sports ties? It's one of my least favorite things about the Bachelorette where these dudes get thrown out there and you hear former pro football player. You hear, oh, this guy's a basketball star. And you dive into it and most all of them, with the exception of Jesse Palmer, never played a minute in the NFL. Many of which never even ended up on a 53-man roster. They're just on practice squads. Like, for example, tell me about Andrew S., pro football player, from Austria, what are we looking at here? Uh, yeah, he lives in Vienna, and he plays in a professional football league in Vienna. So half the year he lives in Europe, and the other half of the year he works as a football coach in the Chicago area and as a teacher's assistant. I can't wait for them to spin it. Andrew S., he's going to introduce himself to Katie tonight and be like, I'm a football player, played pro football. I mean, if he's gainfully employed by football, then he is a professional football player. I got it. But Katie's probably thinking, oh, you do stuff in Chicago? Am I talking to a bear? Like, do you know Jay Cutler? Love what Kristen Cavallari and Jay have been posting on social media before they split up. Also, Robert, if you don't remember Katie from former Deke Matt James's season. I don't. She's the one that the first impression was whipping out an adult toy. So... I've got a feeling one of these fellas are going to do something that's over the line. But what might be over the line for us in the audience might not be over the line for Katie. So it could be a lot of fun. We'll check that out later on tonight. As for Julio Jones, I was thinking about my buddy Darren Gant today, who is a Hall of Fame voter, writes for Panthers.com, doing a really good job at that. He used to say when Cam Newton was with the Panthers, Cam Newton makes people stupid. Where you have people overreacting to things and he's being held to standards as a number one pick that maybe Matthew Stafford, another number one pick, Sam Bradford weren't held to. And he should have coined it enough to make some money off of it. Maybe make some t-shirts, hashtag print the shirts. Never did that. But kind of stealing that expression a bit. I believe wide receivers make people stupid. A lot of it has to do with fantasy football. Most people who follow sports follow sports casually. They're not 
the hardcore diehards like maybe you and I are. So when they look at Julio Jones joining Tennessee, I think a lot of people overreact, even in the media, thinking, oh, well, now the Tennessee Titans are a Super Bowl contender. We do this all the time. Like when DeAndre Hopkins was traded to Arizona. Whoop! They've got Larry Fitz, Christian Kirk, DeAndre Hopkins. This team's going to be unstoppable. This team's going to the playoffs. They didn't make the playoffs. Randy Moss, this happened a handful of times when he was moved to different places. I don't think the position of wide receiver is as valuable as people make it out to be. I've said this a handful of times. I still believe it. They are luxury cars. That's what wide receivers are. They are luxury items. They're expensive. Really expensive to have. So unless you've got a cheap quarterback contract like Baker Mayfield right now on his rookie deal, which allows for them to have Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry or any of these other rookie cheap contracts before you have to pay them that second deal, it really is financially irresponsible to bring in one of these guys and for it to work successfully. That's why you don't see a lot of these top bill, top build in their prime star wide receivers starring on Super Bowl winning teams. You just don't see it. And I think it's because the position, it is a luxury item. You wouldn't pay for a Lamborghini if you have difficulty paying the mortgage. If you do that, well, you probably aren't that financially sound. Adding Julio makes the Titans, I think, a slightly better team. Marginally better. So I'm not saying it's a bad trade, but it doesn't make them a Super Bowl contender. They didn't need any extra firepower. Especially when it's a player that's going to command the second most salary on the team behind the quarterback. So they are paying Ryan Tannehill. This is not a rookie quarterback contract deal. You've got Tannehill. He's your most expensive player. Julio Jones is the second most expensive contract at over $15 million a year. And if he has a great season this year, you know, just like he did with Atlanta a couple of times, he's going to be looking to restructure his contract and make sure that's exactly what he gets, if not more, for the remainder of his career or the remainder of his prime. They already have a number one caliber receiver in A.J. Brown. You're a team that built your identity in running the football with Derrick Henry. How does that change now? Especially with the new offensive coordinator, Arthur Smith, now the coach in Atlanta. Former Tar Heel, by the way, for Mac Brown. So there's going to be a shift in how Tennessee calls plays. My biggest issue with picking up Julio and devoting $15 million to Julio This is a bad defense in Tennessee. I don't think a lot of people have been talking about that. And sometimes I think we do this with football. We attach our identity for a team based on the coach. Like if Mike Vrabel is seen to be a defensive-minded coach because that's what he he rose through the ranks as with the Houston Texans and getting the head coaching job in Tennessee. He was a great defensive player, linebacker for the Patriots all those years. I think sometimes we might just assume, oh, they're sound on defense. That's what they do. Tennessee was not good on defense. Really bad, actually. 24th in scoring defense, 27th in total D. And I don't know if they got better this offseason. Jadavion Clowney lost him, banged up during the year. Couldn't really rely on him to be on the field for you. So what do you do? You replace him with Bud Dupree coming off an ACL tear. It's a bad D-line. Caleb Farley is your first-round pick. 
I don't know what he's going to be. He opted out playing at Virginia Tech his final year a year ago. And he had an injury pre-draft that led to him dropping. So it's a risk. They lost their DC. Dean Pease retired. And Mike Vrabel decided we're just going to promote from within. Even though the defense was terrible, 24th in scoring D, 27th in total D. Yep, we've got this figured out in-house. Let's promote somebody from within our outside linebackers coach to now call the defense. Then you got Tannehill at quarterback, who is fine, kind of like Tennessee altogether, fine, but he can't get to a level to win a Super Bowl. There's a reason why we talk about quarterbacks so much in the sports media space. We talk quarterbacks because the franchise guys are the ones that win the Lombardi. It's Mahomes, it's Brady, it's Rodgers, it's Breeze. And the exceptions to that have great defenses behind them. Nick Foles in 2017, one of the best D-lines in the NFL the last decade. Peyton Manning was legitimately bad against the Panthers in Super Bowl 50. He wasn't really good that entire year. But he did have one of the best defenses we've seen in the 21st century. Brad Johnson. Those Buccaneers would like a conversation with what I just said about that Denver defense. With Derek Brooks and Warren Sapp and Rondé Barber. They won because of the defense. Trent Dilfer, Roberts Ravens. That Ravens defense on the short list of any great defenses ever in the NFL. With Ray Lewis heading it, they won in Tampa against the Giants. Tennessee, I doubt they're even the best team in the AFC South. I like the Colts better organizationally. Frank Wright, as a head coach, offensive-minded, pairing him with Carson Wentz. They're reunited from their Philly days. That makes a lot of sense. Adding Eric Fisher, that's a pretty good gamble at left tackle. Even if it doesn't work out, you still have one of the five best offensive lines in football. And they're really good with the draft. Last year, they gave up their first-round pick to, to bring in DeForest Buckner from San Francisco. They... Picked Kitty Pay on that D-line. They know where the mortgage should be set. They have their priorities set in the right place. It's on the O-line and D-line, and both those areas for the Colts better than the Tennessee Titans. And I'd be willing to say, reunited with Frank Wright, an offensive-minded coach, Wentz is going to be better than Tannehill as well. So I'd say the Colts are the favorite to win the AFC South. Adding Julio, it does make the Titans better, but it's marginal. I'd not really in love with the trade. The Titans are not a Super Bowl contender for me. Shifting things. Now that we know that John Shire and Hubert Davis, they are the future of the Duke-Carolina rivalry. I thought about this a lot this weekend. Who out of those two, next five years, do you think out of the blocks going to have more success in Chapel Hill or in Durham? I don't think either are going to flame out. I don't think either are going to be horrifically bad. I don't think we're looking at a Matt Doherty situation here. But I do believe one is better set up for success than the other, and it's Shire. Because whether it's Capel, Amaker, or Shire, anybody else of the Duke lineage, following K is going to be seen to be an impossible act. Jay Billis called it the most Difficult job anybody's ever taken in sports following Coach K. So, acknowledging that up front, odds are 
Hubert's not going to be Roy Williams, and John Shire's not going to be Coach K. But Duke decided to do something different. Since it's an almost unprecedented task that they're asking John Shire to take on here, they're going to handle this in a way that's almost different than we've seen with any other coach. Coach K is going to have a retirement tour. And with the way things are going with the transfer portal and how uncertain things can feel, having a clear plan, a clear uh, departure for Coach K and a clear replacement, a succession plan, that's the word I'm looking for, in place, that I think benefits Duke more than it's benefited Hubert Davis in this offseason. It's going to be a more smoother transition to power. Hubert, it's crazy. It's only been two months. But let's go back two months ago and look at how the ground was moving beneath us in Chapel Hill. The transfer portal, Walker Kessler, he enters the portal. Sterling Manley, others, you just didn't know who was going to stay, who was going to go. It didn't seem good. Roy Williams, he decides he's going to retire on April Fool's Day. They're coming off a first-round exit, something that never happened in Roy's career. There's staff uncertainty. Hubert, he's saying that he wants Walker Kessler to come back at his press conference, and then Walker decides to go to Auburn. We then learn that the top target on Hubert's staff was King Rice. King decides to stay in Monmouth. So a lot of that was fluctuating, things that we already know the answer for Shire at Duke. We know it's going to be Carowell and Nolan Smith as two of his three assistant coaches. He's going to learn under K. He's probably going to have a better team coming back, too. That's going to help. I think Duke's going to be a top five, top ten team next year. Plus, if we're being honest about it, Duke's brand, it's unique in college basketball. I know the other Blue Bloods don't really want to hear it, but I lived in Colorado in a town of 2,400 people where there's no real connection to Duke, but everybody there loved the Blue Devils. It was a Blue Devil town. In Texas, I, I saw it as well. There was no real connection. A player from here going to Duke? No. A player, uh, somebody who's loved in the town getting a Duke degree? No. We just really love Duke, right? I, I don't really see that with North Carolina and with Kansas and with Kentucky. So it's a genuinely national brand, and I don't think there's another one in college basketball. So there's going to be a wider recruiting net. And Shire has already been pretty darn good on the recruiting trail after Capel left. This class that they're bringing in right now, with two top 10 players, another in the top 20, Shire is the one authoring all of that. And that's what's made him a more attractive coaching candidate than Hubert. Maybe Hubert's just great at keeping things under wraps and North Carolina altogether at doing so, but I never really heard Hubert interviewing for jobs or being talked to or interest being expressed in Hubert taking another coaching job outside of Chapel Hill. Shire has been involved in many discussions over the last five years. He got pretty far along, reportedly, with DePaul before ultimately losing out and going back to Durham. Shire's a young coach, won a national championship as a player, interviewed for multiple jobs. So out of the two, if I had to guess, I believe Shire is a little bit better set up for success immediately, first five years of their career, than Hubert Davis is. He puts the C in awkward. Huh? He didn't finish high school. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. Who writes our promos? Robert, that one wasn't even accurate. I did graduate high school. 
Steve Forbes actually asked me that. You remember that at the press conference? They lost to Notre Dame. I don't know why he was referencing me in high school, but he made it sound like I didn't own a degree. Do I come off as somebody who doesn't own a high school degree, Robert? I mean, a lot of these promos also say you wear women's clothing and stuff, too. I think it's all just a joke. Okay, I'm just making sure. Are you the one that writes all these? Oh, yeah, it's me. Nah, it's all outsourced. I'm not that funny. I think you're a funny guy. I also think our next guest is pretty funny. Sarah Sivian now joins us. She's on one of our radio promos that rotates during the day here from The Athletic, Carolina Hurricanes beat writer. We play pucks and tweets with Sarah. Any opportunity we get to catch Sarah on her busy schedule here. Let's start with a tweet, why don't we? On Twitter, at Sarah Sivian, I've never had such freedom to design such a large area of living space on my own. Just bought a couch, a coffee table, and a frame painting of Barbie doing drugs. Uh, yeah, there are various um, framed paintings of Barbie doing various drugs that are going to be sent to my home very shortly, and I'm very excited about that. What drugs do they have Barbie doing? Well, she's having wine in the bathroom. She is also doing... Um, what else is she doing? She's doing weed. Um, that's going to be a big one for me. So I'm, I'm excited about this nonetheless. I, I feel like one of those kids that like finally has the freedom after being helicopter parented to do whatever I want and I'm going to make a mess. But oh well. Sarah Sivian, let's get to the hockey. Who do you suspect the Canes are going to be without tomorrow night? Um, God, I don't know because it's elimination, right? I think people might try to play even if they wouldn't in a normal situation. I don't know. I think there's a solid chance Nino could play. I think that's more likely than Trocek. Um, and Fogel's truly game time. I don't know. Brendan Moore described it as very game time, and I thought that was funny. On Twitter at Sarah Sivian, when did Unwell by Matchbox 20 become the most relatable song of all time? Oh, yeah. I was very unwell trying to cover the playoff games from my home. I'm proud to say I will now be traveling again if the Canes win Game 5. So I kind of want them to win Game 5. But it's been hard um, trying to capture the spirit when I'm sitting next to my unfurnished apartment. We don't even got Barbie yet, so it's been tough. I, I used to have a vendetta against Matchbox 20 because... I, in a talent show, my junior year in high school, performed a Coldplay song on piano and sang, and I thought I was better than this guy who was the most popular kid in school who performed Matchbox 20 on a guitar, and he ended up winning, and I finished second in that talent show. I'm still pretty upset That's about the that. whitest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> <laughs> She's on Twitter, at Sarah Sivian. Let's get to more hockey. What was the most shocking piece... Of Carolina seeing its four to two lead evaporate almost immediately Saturday. Shocking. Um, I'm going to say it was shocking because it didn't feel shocking, if that makes sense, right? Like they've been so good at even strength, but they're just—it's kind of been the story of this team. They've been kind of able to get away with it, taking these penalties because their penalty kill has been so good. But it's just this is the best power play we've seen in the league in a, a few years at least like they figured something out and i mean it might be the cap circumventation is what they figured out but either way there's so many stars that are just 
willing to switch it up and score in any way you can imagine. There's no set plays even. It's just like they're out there vibing. And I, you just can't get these penalties. And I know there were some non-calls on the Lightning, but all these penalties the Canes are getting are penalties. You just got to stay out of the box. On Twitter at Sarah Sivian, some girl in the bathroom line just told me, I look bad. I was like, what? She's like, you look bad. I was like, do you mean bad like Mike Jones or actually ugly? She said, a zillion bucks. Nature has finally healed. Nature is healing. And for the best part, back that AZZ up was blasting. So that was like, it's all coming together. Wow, life is back to normal. That was one of those moments. We're getting complimented in the bathroom. I didn't even know how to react because it's been so long. But we're back, baby. Who's starting in net tomorrow night? Uh, Mirazik. Really? You think so too? I, I think it's probably gonna be Ned. I don't. I honestly don't know. That's this is an example of a question where I was genuinely interested in your answer. Yeah, I mean, if we could debate should or would or whatever, I think I would have contemplated contemplating pulling Peter in that game. But since you didn't, you might kind of have to go with him again. I mean, he's the only one that's won against Lightning, and I'm not saying that. Ned's fault that they lost with him and Net, but I do think like if you're you kind of have this roulette situation, you might want to go with like the one guy that got the win. I mean, I, he looked kind of I'm going to say like very lost at the end of that game when it was kind of collapsing. But at the same time, you can't blame him that much for power play goals. Last tweet at Sarah Sivian. Me and my boyfriend just pulled up to our local McDonald's, and the lady was. Like, trying to look out for me, being like, quote, Girl, this man is always pulling up late night. I always see him here late night. Girl, it's McDonald's. <laughs> I don't really know what was going on in that situation. I don't know, like, she was trying to warn me that he's, like, bringing some other girl food, but we live together. He's bringing me the nuggets. Are you shaming me for how many chicken nuggets I eat? We live right next to this McDonald's, and we're like, this is already going to be the most. From day one, it was like, oh, girl, we got to forget that this McDonald's is close well, to us. But paint the picture yes, for me. frequent flyers. Paint the picture for me, though. Like, is the lady looking at the guy and then looking at you and genuinely worried about the state of your relationship because of how often he's at McDonald's? <laughs> I don't even know, to be honest with you. He had kind of picked me up after a night out, right? So I might have been giving off a vibe to the lady myself. I think I was just like, I, I don't even know. But she was just like, girl, he's always here. Like, watch out. I'm like, for what? Uh, like, for you? Like, is he hitting on you? What's going on? It's unbelievable. Uh, you know, Kane's fans are probably listening to us right now and wondering, is there any way we can spin this? Three games to one down, spin it positively to make Carolina believe they have a chance at coming back and winning this series. Is there any way you can do the pretzel maneuvering of an opinion to talk yourself into Carolina coming back from three games one, uh, three games to one down against the champs? I mean, I will say this team has been pretty annoying all season because of the resiliency they speak of. Like you think, all right, like now I finally have a storyline. They're losing a few games. Like they're not going to bounce back. And then all of a sudden they find it in themselves to kind of play like the team 
we know they can play, and I don't advise that. I don't think, I don't know, I think sometimes the talk of resiliency has been a little like, no, they kind of are making stupid mistakes, and then they have to make up for their own mistakes. I don't know if you call that resiliency, but they're in that position again, and they've kind of rose up every time, so it ain't over till it's over, especially when Rod Brindamore's your coach. I'll say that. Sarah, you are the best. Thank you so much for Thank making you. time for us. We'll talk later. Anytime. Thanks so much. There you go. That's Sarah Sivian joining us from the Athletic Pucks and Tweets with Sarah. Should anybody be judged for going to McDonald's late night a little bit too much, Robert? No, if it's right by your house, I don't know. The employees, I think, are definitely allowed to judge you, mostly because they're the ones that are going to always see you. Right. Like if you like if you call into this radio show, I'm going to judge you just because I'm the one answering the calls. Like if I was working at McDonald's and I saw the same dude coming through, I would probably also judge him. Yeah. Someone actually who listens to the show told me this weekend that I need to hold the callers to a higher standard. That's something that they said. Like, hey. You know, if they're going to come in, you're too nice to the callers, Josh. You're too nice. Sometimes they say things that are factually incorrect and things that are just flat out wrong. You need to you need to take a baseball bat sometimes to some of the callers if they're going to come in, if they're going to come if they're going to come on the show, they better come correct. I don't think anyone actually said that to you. Well, I said the last piece. <laughs> yeah. Well, but that was the insinuation that you're too nice to the Who was this, like a professional radio caller? No. He's just been calling into radio shows since like the 60s. I know what it takes to be a good caller. I no. come with the facts. This was in downtown Winston-Salem on Saturday afternoon. So to that guy, maybe something I'll consider there. But uh, Sarah is always uh, a light anytime she comes on the show. Robert, how about our East Carolina Pirates? Yeah. The Pirates, I think for the first time ever, have won three games in three tries in the regional. No problems whatsoever. Of course, there were there was a little bit of rain in Greenville. That's known to happen. But uh, ECU, three games, three wins, cleanly through. No turbulence whatsoever to get to the Super Regional round. And they've got Vanderbilt, NC State. They advance as well. So we have two North Carolina teams, perhaps going to be a third joining them late as Campbell is taking Mississippi State to the wire. It's 6-5 to five, Mississippi State as I'm looking at my screen right now on ESPNU. But how about it? North Carolina, stand up and take your shirt off. Wave it around like a helicopter. Love that. Love college baseball this time of year as well. There's a two, three-week stretch where it's just a lot of fun to follow. And I struggle to think about, I guess many of the college sports are this way. It's certainly this way for March Madness, but the postseason being so drastically different than what you see in the regular season. Maybe more so in college baseball than basketball because of the actual product itself, how many arms you're going to throw, how you're going to approach a game. But... I love college baseball this time of year. No question about it. Here's a question I have that I'll dub as an old-school David Glenn question of the day. Is Julio Jones the greatest Panther killer of all time? Like, if you're a Panther fan, the player that you absolute 
absolutely hated playing against time and time again. Not to be confused with the most hated players. Like, I hate Tom Brady. No, Carolina has a lot of success against Tom. They lost a Super Bowl, but the Monday night game, the game-winning field goal in Foxborough with Cam, you might hate Tom Brady, but I'm talking about the guys you hate because they torched your team so much. Julio Jones, he's in that category. He is in that discussion. But is he the greatest Panther killer of all time? I'll give you my take next on the draft. He's got a lot of knowledge about things I'm curious about, and he's cool. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. A happy 25th birthday to Christian McCaffrey. Olivia Colpo who many believe might be the most beautiful woman in the world, has been dating McCaffrey for a while. She wrote this on her Instagram page. I'm obsessed with you. Happy birthday, Kenton. Thank you for making me the luckiest girl in the world. I love you. Robert, does Cheyenne call you nicknames? Yeah, but uh, not most of them. I don't think I could say some of them. Really? Yeah. None of them you can clean up? Uh, she calls me Dangle sometimes. Oh, she calls goodness. me... Uh, most of them, no. Uh, and they're not even raunchy. They're just words that I can't say on the radio. Okay. Understand that. I don't think me and Sarah Bradford have any nicknames for each other. I don't think we do anything like that. There are times where, since we're just so polite and friendly people generally, that we just... Sometimes say mean things to each other in a very nice way. And that's a funny thing. Like, we call each other dummy sometimes. Yeah, that's a nickname. Like, she doesn't... It's like she calls me Dingle, like Dingleberry. I, I like, that's may, not nice. I may or may not, when I asked Sarah Bradford to marry me, said, marry me dummy. Rather than, will you marry me? That might have been a thing I did. She said yes, regardless. So that's a really big win. Uh... This is quite the love letter that she's pinning on social media. Robert, for any woman, have you ever written a love letter before? A love letter? Yeah, have you ever like, Maybe in high school I would have really? I would have wrote somebody. I think I actually left a letter for a girl that I dug. She were having like a party at her house and I put it under her like la- uh, lamp beside her bed or whatever and I never heard anything back from her again. Oh, that's dreadful. It's okay. I left notes like that for like a couple girls. Did you? Oh yeah, you got to spread seeds. Is it it a poem? Did you write a poem? Like roses are red, violets are blue. I'd like to kiss you on your snoot. Like what am I? What am I gonna write a poem about? No, I think I was just telling her that I dug her. Like hey, I've kept this in. I haven't said anything, but I would Uh, like to kiss you publicly or something. Uh, I think. I don't know if I've written letters. I, I wrote Sarah Bradford a letter on her birthday one time. I did that. Did you mail it to her or just hand it to her? No, nah, I. it was one of those deals where I made sure it was at a place where she could see it when she woke up. That was kind of the deal. And speaking yeah, of Cheyenne things. Yeah, does that for me too. 336-777-1600. Do don't, you have instances of writing love letters or doing something that was very loving 
that was not reciprocated in the way that Robert very kindly wrote a letter for somebody and left it at her bedside not to get a response because Robert, when I was in high school, I learned how to play She Will Be Loved by Maroon 5 on piano for a girl and I performed it for her and she acted like she was super into it in the moment. Never heard from her again after that. Yeah. What is she supposed to do? I know. I, in I know. your high school head, did you just think that she was going to swoon? Like yeah. just pass out I thought on your so. lap and you would kiss her and I caress her so. on the piano bench? I like, thought so. That's exactly how I pictured it in my mind. In hindsight, I'm cringing. And she's like, oh, that was that was a, oh, thank you so much. What, how did, okay, so afterwards, like did you get a hug or a kiss or like? It was a hug. And she was like, okay, I have to go to third period. I'll text you like tonight. I'll no, let you know no, something. And no. then she just like ghosted it, you. It wasn't like that. It was, I played this song for her. And then less than a week later, she started dating someone I thought was one of my good friends who I had confided in confidence, telling him how I was going to do this and how I was going to go for it, and he encouraged me. <laughs> Where you were like, hey, come in this room. I have something to show you. And now, it's like, she's like, oh, no. And he, now, oh, he wrote me a song. He's now, playing me a piano song. I realize in hindsight, maybe this guy was setting me up to fail. I oh, also for sure. like this woman. Yeah, how about you play her a song? What song are you choosing? Maroon 5? Adam Levine, who's one of the most impossible to re- uh, replicate singers out there? Yeah, just go ahead and knock yourself out. I'm sure you can hit the high note and she will be loved. Oh, yeah. And they kissed at the mall, like the food court, and totally made fun of you. Can it's, you believe he picked at Maroon it's, 5? Oh, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> oh, this is dramatic for me right now. 336-777-1600 if you have something to add to that. I teased on the way in, before we get to Graham's grades in about 10 minutes, that uh, there's an NBA team I believe to be a contender. Maybe even a team that could be holding up the trophy in about a month and change. That's just getting no respect. I'll get to that after we get to Mark and Greensboro. Mark, how are you doing, buddy? Hope you had a great weekend. Yeah, man. How you doing? I, I'm doing okay. I just told this entire audience things that I don't even think I've told Sarah Bradford before. So I'll find out how great yeah. I'm doing a little bit later on tonight. Yeah, I was listening to it. what do you got for me um no i was on the way i I drove all around the state today and i was listening to it i couldn't call in at the time but you're gonna try to tell me that julio jones trade isn't a good trade i I just don't i just don't get that well like what perspective are you are you looking at it from because they bring another guy in that now teams can't put a safety in the box when you have those two guys on the outside and it's like advanced level you know, play game planning for who they're going to face. It's like, just pick your poison. You know, do you stop Derek, uh, Derek Henry or do you stop their passing game? Let me, I don't get it. Let me be perfectly clear, Crystal here. I don't think it was a bad trade for either side. Like, there are people crushing Atlanta right now because they only got a second round and a fourth round pickback. I'm thinking that's what a 32-year-old wide receiver who's getting paid $15 million is worth. That's what it is. And on the other end, for the Titans, I think there are some leaping to the conclusion to say, because now you have Julio and you have Derrick Henry and you got A.J. Brown, 
that you are somehow among the top tier of the league with Mahomes in Kansas City and the Tampa Bay Bucks, and I think that's an overreaction. I think Tennessee's going to have a winning record. Tennessee, I think, is going to go to the playoffs. But, quite frankly, I still like the Colts roster more, and I don't think they're a Super Bowl contender. So I think if I'm being clear, that's what I'm saying. I, I think the trade is something where, yeah, is it is it a bad trade? No, but did it make me feel a lot differently about Atlanta or Tennessee altogether? I have to say no to that as well. No, I just think, I, I mean, I understand. That's a very, you know, you're level-headed. You're not like a hot take guy. But I just think that that's uh, a, little, a little short-sighted in the respect that, you know, if these guys are healthy, A.J. Brown and Julio Jones are two of maybe the top five deep threats in the league. And you have, you have them on your roster. And you have a guy who ran for 2,000 yards. And your offensive line is one of the top five in the league. And your quarterback has been top ten over the last three years. So I don't know much. how much more you need, right? I mean, let's face it. I know Tom Brady had a bunch of weapons last year, but it was his protection. It was his ability to kind of throw deep balls that got them a title. And, you know, they weren't a dink and dunk team like the Patriots. I just think Tennessee did hit a home run. And they and just conversely, to give up a second-round pick for an all-pro and a fourth-round pick is like a bag of footballs. We'll, see, good. we'll see how it pans out. I see your perspective. Thanks for the call, Mark. Robert? I think it's time to start taking the Utah Jazz seriously. I picked the Jazz before the playoffs began to win the West. I'm still going to stick with that pick. How's this for a stat, though? Since 1995, you know how I value the large samples of things. Since 1995, 25, 26 years of NBA basketball, only one team has won as many games as the Utah Jazz, and that's the San Antonio Spurs. The Spurs are the only team in the last 26 years to win more games than the Utah Jazz. That is true. It's time to take them seriously because the argument against them pretty uniformly just seems to be, yeah, but it's the Jazz. Yeah, but they don't have the biggest superstars in the game, even though Donovan Mitchell is a legitimate star by any measure. They also have award winners. Rudy Gobert is going to win Defensive Player of the Year. They're going to have the Sixth Man of the Year, whether it be Clarkson or Ingles. They're going to have the Comeback Player of the Year in the NBA this season as well. This is a legit title contender, and I've never seen a team finish with the best record in the league that's being talked about at talked about less than the Utah Jazz. It kind of reminds me, Robert of your Toronto Raptors a couple years ago. See, Toronto was always discounted, even though they had these tremendous regular seasons, because, well, it's Toronto. And Toronto's going to go to the playoffs, and they're going to lose with DeRozan. And even that season with Kawhi, you had people writing them off the same way, because, eh, it's Toronto. Not the most popular media market in the NBA, just like Utah isn't. But the Jazz, they've been doing this for a long time, kind of like Toronto for the last decade. I don't think I trust anybody else more in the Western Conference than I do the Jazz at this point. Quinn Schneider, I think he's the best coach remaining. I think they're the most reliable three-point shooting team. I think they're the most reliable defensive team remaining in the West. So when you roll all of that together, I think they're the team that we need to start taking seriously, even if you like Phoenix more than Utah. That's fine. I think that would be a tremendous series. I'll take the Jazz. You could take the Phoenix Suns. But 
more people were talking about Phoenix as being a serious team, and that makes me scratch my head because of that number I mentioned before. Phoenix, what kind of winning have they done that Utah hasn't done? 25 years. Only one team's won as many games as the Utah Jazz, and that's the San Antonio Spurs. It's really time that we start looking at this and taking them seriously. After the Clippers win yesterday, I heard Simmons say that, oh, I think the Clippers are going to be a finals team now, and what disrespect that is to Utah. Oh, you got this team that was on the brink against a Dallas team that only has one guy, essentially, in the first round, and did you not see what the Clippers were last year in the second round? You're going to pick that team against Utah? I'm sorry, I can't do it. So I got the Jazz going to the finals. It's time to start putting some respect on their name. He's the man. He's the man. <laughs> Settle down. You're on the drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. A lot of hoop things to get to with Brian Geisinger. Before we get to the NBA, I think it's only right we start with how much has changed since the last time we spoke around here in the ACC. Uh, Coach K is going to retire in a year. John Shire's going to replace him. Hubert Davis, we already know, is going to be, he right now is the head coach at North Carolina replacing Roy Williams. And I'm interested in what you make. These programs are just connected in so many different ways. They're kindred spirits at times of each other. But the way they're handling the succession plans for Kay and Roy, especially given how college basketball is changing with the transfer portal being such an immediate thing where kids can live leave if anything is unknown with a succession plan if a coach were to leave and someone else were to be hired. How well set up do you believe Duke to be versus North Carolina under Shire versus what Hubert Davis is now working with? Well, they're both, like, on the whole, both tremendously well set up. I mean, these are arguably the two best brands in all of college basketball. I mean, at, at worst, they're two of the top four or five up there with, you know, Kentucky and, and Kansas. And <clears throat> there are a few others sort of on the fringes of that same group. Uh, so they're perfectly well set up. They have incredible resources. They have incredible tradition. They're in a great area, a great conference. Like they are and like, and if it doesn't work out with these guys, they can go to the next one. And like, then they'll probably, you know, have fine success with the next one. They're just, they are uniquely well positioned to keep it moving. It's not like, you know, this thing runs on autopilot. It takes a lot of hard work. But um, they have resources and they have talented people that they're putting into those positions. I think it's interesting what Duke did. Like, obviously, the transfer, you know, when we're talking about the changing landscape of college basketball, the portal, especially how it has been this summer, uh, you know, post the COVID season, um, you know, that gets factored into the changing landscape of college basketball. But NIL gets thrown into that. Um, which I think these are two schools that are going to be ready and well adjusted to get going. Like when that hits the ground, you know, nationally or in the state of North Carolina or whatever, like they're, these schools will be all on it. And it looks like Duke's new AD, uh, Nina Long is also ready to get rolling with that Nina too. King. Bubba Cunningham, some of the comments he's made are, are maybe, uh, maybe a little bit more pushback, but we'll see on that. The only thing I want to say to this is Duke, Shire, Coach K, they talked about this. 
the impetus for this move and have this sort of like synchronized coach and waiting succession plan going on was to help them transition their recruiting efforts, which like that's changing too. You have these, you have the overtime elite league, you have the G league Ignite team. Um, you have the, the landscape of recruiting changing and that's the lifeblood of the sport. Shire has been a big time recruiter for them. So um, I'm not surprised that they did it in the way that it was uh, pulled off here. Looking in the NBA, we're in the second round now, and I see six teams I think I believe to be title teams. Six. I see three per conference. I could see getting to the finals, and at that point, who knows? I think it's Phoenix, Utah, and the Clippers out west, and out east, it's the obvious three of Milwaukee, Brooklyn, and Philadelphia. And with all due respect to Denver and Atlanta, both those teams seem like they're a player away. Denver probably has that player on its roster, but Jamal Murray's not healthy. Atlanta, just really young, and it's been a really strong season. And I say that acknowledging that they won yesterday in game one against Philadelphia. But do you think that's a generous number, or do you agree with it? Teams that you can't write off right now, I'm at six. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you can write anyone off at this point. I, I really do think our brains are still getting, like, recalibrated post-Durant Warriors. Even Atlanta, you can't write off. I mean, they're up one game. <laughs> like, they, they've swung home court. They have Trey – I mean, like, Philadelphia is going to make adjustments, but, like, Trey Young's – like, they were blowing that game out before, it, you know, Atlanta just sort of, like, lost their cool – uh, and almost coughed that game up down the stretch. But, like, the Hawks are no joke, man. Nate McMillan can coach. They got a lot of pieces. DeAndre Hunter didn't even play in that game over the weekend. He's, like, their third or fourth best player. Uh, you think he would have helped out a little bit? Oh, so, sure. um, you know, so I don't know if there's anyone. Like, the Nuggets, it's tough because, like, they're just missing so much offensively without Murray. But Jokic is, like, a crisis matchup every time he crosses half court. I, I think – I think six is like a perfectly fair number. If you were to pull it back out to seven, I, like I, I don't think I would like, you know, my eyes would, would roll around in my head. I mean, I think there are tiers within these teams for sure, but right now just the way things match up, like you only got to win, you know, one of these series at a time, you don't have to play everybody. Um, it, so in home courts are varying factors of influence, depending on where, what state the games are taking place in. So it's interesting, but it is wide open. And I do think like, we're just getting you. It just became such a layup line for Golden State out west for this stretch of time. And I just really do think we're getting used to it. It's like, no, no, no. It's like, this is a thing. There are five or six teams every year that can really threaten for this thing. Um, and it's just interesting to see the way things shook up this year because LeBron and AD, the favorites before the season, got knocked out. And, you know, Denver's hampered because of Murray. Like, there could even be more of these, you know, these sort of like, legit title teams but it's wide open on both sides of the fence right now he's on twitter at bguys underscore bird follow him for all the hoop knowledge that he drops on a daily basis also doing stuff for us accsports.com i know you love great stats and we're probably going to learn some stats as we go from robert when i try to out precise the guys but earlier today this stat blew me away that there's only one team in the nba i love valuing the larger samples one team in the NBA since 1995 that's won more games than the Utah Jazz as a franchise, and that's the San Antonio Spurs. Yeah, of course. Utah, yeah. second across 26 years. I think it's time to start taking them seriously. I picked the Jazz to win the West before the playoffs began just because I, I love watching them play. 
I think this roster makes so much sense. I've been a fan of Donovan Mitchell since he was at Louisville, albeit that's not a guy I looked at at Louisville thinking, oh, this is going to be an NBA all-star caliber player. Robert, see, I'm rooting for the Suns because of Chris, if we're just being honest about it. Robert thinks that the Suns are the best team in the West. I think it's Utah, but I'd be willing to hear an argument on the Clippers as well. Where do you stand on who the best team in the West is currently? Yeah, I wish I could know for sure about Chris Paul's shoulder, right? Like, like I think if Chris is, like, dialed in and, you know, as close to 100% as possible, and he looked good for flashes during some of these games after the injury, but, like, they're a little dependent on Devin Booker to get offense going, and they just – they got to have eight – they're so thin at center beyond eight, and, like, Dario Sarge fell off a cliff, Frank Kaminsky's their backup center. Yeah. Like, if Aiton picks up three fouls real quickly against Jokic, like, good luck. Like, Jokic is going to turn Kaminsky into a pretzel. In fact, the Suns may even just go small, try to guard, you know, Jokic with Jay Crowder or something like that, um, or Torrey Craig or whatever. Not like that would go great for them. But so it's it, it really is wide open. But this Utah team is, like, I don't know what it's going to take. Maybe they need to get to the Western Conference Finals before everyone fully buys them. Like, this is a top three defense, a top three offense. Um I just think there are concerns in the playoffs of what happens to them. They're offensively, they have this beautiful machine, but what happens to them offensively when they get into the playoffs and they get against an opponent that can switch a lot. And then it comes on to Donovan Mitchell, and Michael Conley, right? Like those guys have got to be the ones that can beat these switches. And we saw in this last series, like LA, the Clippers got out alive against Dallas because they went small. I'm fascinated to see what they do against, uh, Utah like if they just continue to play small and that that makes Rudy Gobert very vulnerable he's so critical to what Utah wants to do in terms of the pick and roll in the half court and everything they do defensively gets funneled through Rudy so like the Jazz are really freaking good this is like a weird matchup for them I kind of would have rather have had Dallas even though he you know Luca would have provided all kinds of like scary matchup problems for them in the in the pick and roll too so I will say Oh, I'll say Phoenix too, but like, man, I just, their health and depth up front really, really, really concerns me. And heck man, maybe the Clippers just like take off here. Like this is an elite shooting team. Kawhi's playing on another level right now. They got all kind of random guys contributing. They're deep. Luke Kennard came out of nowhere to have a big game for them in game seven. So like, who knows? I am fascinated by jazz Clippers. That's going to be a phenomenal series. And I really cannot wait for that thing to get going really quick out west any of those teams you like more than the top three teams in the east oh i mean i guess i should say i mean it's um well i think i like brooklyn better than anybody right now um and i don't know we'll see how Embiid's health holds up but like we also need to see if james harden's able to come back like he might be done for the second round oh, and if that's at a the minimum case, i think milwaukee it, wins that series and like that's yeah, I mean like that totally could happen. Um, I mean Milwaukee can play a lot better. There's a lot of low hanging fruit for Milwaukee to do better. That series could shift really quickly. Um, it, when we'll see what happens, you know, first things tonight. But if if Harden's you know going to miss substantial time and like you know hamstring is a serious injury, you don't just come back from that. That's what bothered him during the season. So um, I guess I would like Phoenix again, barring good health. There's too many of these health caveats this year, though. It stinks like. It's just sort of a cloud hanging over the playoffs. Harden, yeah. AD, CP3, Mike Conley, you know, DeAndre Hunter. It's a bummer. And Joel Embiid, too. Like, sure. he held up well yesterday and played great. But, like, it wasn't sure. He was like a game-time decision yesterday. They needed everything they got from him, and they still didn't win. Robert Walsh, it's time for you to take the wheel. 
because it's time for me to try and out-precise the guys. Brian Geisinger is a basketball genius. Josh Graham, uh, is not. I'm smart, you're dumb. I'm big, you're little. I'm right, you're wrong. Listen as Brian launches half-court shots and Josh, well, double dribbles all over himself. And there's nothing you can do about it. Get off the bench and try to out-precise the guys. Jumping right back into the playoff action and a star is upset in Dallas. Porzingis is frustrated that he is, <laughs> quote, an afterthought uh, in the offense. And I just simply want to know, what did Porzingis shoot from three in this latest series against the Clippers? Like so the percentage? Yes, just the shooting percentage it, from three. It was, it, it was not good, and it was really all he did. Yeah, Porzingis can't post up a switch, and he can't protect the rim. Um, he's sort of a shell of what he used to be, and that contract is not looking too pretty. Um, I am going to say 30%. Uh, three-point percentage in the first round for one Kristaps Porzingis. I thought it was going to be something ridiculously low, so I went 17%. He shot 29.6% from three. Oh, my God. BG. Yes. Off by just a couple of decimal points. I wish I kept up with the stats for this, like how much you each are off and and a way to triangulate it into an actual stat. I, some of them have been really close. Like the first time Josh beat me, that was decimal points. Like that that one was really. Some of them have been really really tight. And then two weeks ago, I won because of like a, a you know kind of a fortunate tiebreaker. So like these things are tighter than than I than I feel like sometimes. For sure, I remember the first time Darren played, he beat you on like <laughs> yeah, a point yeah. one decimal. Well, we started talking about dum-dums, and then my brain, uh, I, guess, <laughs> yeah. I turned into a dum-dum myself after that. That's what, what flavor dum-dum, curiosity? Mystery flavor. That was ah, what we were talking about. There you go. Yeah. Well, another mystery flavor with the Nets without Harden. <laughs> uh, terrible transition there. Uh, they started Blake Griffin over DeAndre Jordan, and after game one, it seems like that's going to pay off. How many days? I'm looking for a number of days. How many days has it been since Blake Griffin had a double-double in the playoffs. Oh, Oof. dear Lord. Oh, so, I mean, man. you can – you everybody knows how many days are in a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I figured yeah. that out. So, he was on that Pistons team in 2019 that lost to Milwaukee in the first round, but I don't remember if he played in that series. He was all NBA that year. Um, I am going to say – I am going to say uh, 720. I got 999 written down. <laughs> well, Josh, this is a this is a tough question, and I, I I wanted to use this, but I also didn't want it to be hard. But it just ended up being hard. Five years, one month, and 19 yeah! days. That is 1,875 yeah! days. That's a win. Oh. That's oh a win for yours, truly. It has been a Good long, God. long time. Yeah, we're talking about the 2016 playoffs, which is actually the one when I think Blake ended up missing time because he, he didn't he like Correct. punch a, he punched one of the like the team employees. Or yes, and he came back for the last two games of that series, oh and they God. lost both of those yeah, games. Portland to Portland. Yes, you know? yeah. I think I was also the same day that Chris Paul got hurt. It, yeah, it was. It was like the door cracked for a second, like 
oh, could uh, could the could the Clippers make a run here? <laughs> uh, and, no, uh, <laughs> they cannot. No, they so were I doing. have a shot here. You do have a shot okay, here. Let's go. I'm not going to throw away my shot. You have a shot here. Uh, and the Hawks, they have a shot oh. against the number one seed. They got a big <laughs> win in game one against Philly on the back of Trey Young's 35 points. But Lou Will had the best plus minus on the team with only 11 minutes. Uh, what is Lou Will shooting from the field in the playoffs? Oh, God, I just have no idea what direction. I'm trying to figure out, like, okay, we're going plus minus in 11 minutes. Okay. I try to give you as much information as possible. Okay, yeah. yeah. So it's shooting. You're, we're just looking for a shooting percentage in the playoffs. Correct. From the field, yeah. not from three, nothing special, just yeah. from the field. N- not effective shooting. We're talking raw field goal percentage Correct. here. Uh, yeah, Lou's, Lou, Lou played pretty well yesterday. Also, that, that plus minus is influenced because Trey was on the court when Philadelphia started to just come at them in tidal waves. But um, I will say, I'll say 46%. I've got 48% written down. Oh, man. Please leave 47%. It is 40 <laughs> This is ridiculous, guys. <laughs> is it 47%? It is 47%. <laughs> Robert has to come up with a tiebreaker on the fly. And by the way, this is the best he's ever shot in the playoffs of his career. He, this is great. He, okay. he's, he has struggled before in so, the playoffs. Well, I'm going really to stall for you real quick to come up with the question by asking BG, in the spirit of Olivia Culpa, a Culpa writing a love letter to Christian McCaffrey on his 25th birthday, have you ever written a love letter to a lady? Me and Robert have. It didn't go well oh. for either of us. Has BG ever tried that before? Oh yeah, man. Come on. Uh, I'm not. I'm a. I am a. Like I don't have a whole lot of game, but I'm pretty good with words. You writing so poems you, you or love use what songs? Your strengths are man. You are, know. Are like, you writing so, songs yeah. or poems? Oh no, nah, nothing. I mean, I wish I could, but no. So nothing like that. But just like a. Yeah, like here's a, you know, you, you, you bury your heart out a little bit. You, yeah. you you have like an inside joke in there and uh, you try to be uh, honest as to why you like them so much. It's it's like a good way to really express your feelings, you know, being honest. Did it what go, a, uh, did it go well? Uh, it has gone well. It, I'm like probably like 50-50, honestly. You know what? One That's- went really well and then another one was an absolute disaster. Yeah, it's kind of like Lou Will's shooting percentage. Robert Walsh, do you have something for us? I do. Love letters can go good or bad, kind of like Nicholas Batum. It depends what team he's playing for. How many points did he have in the final game against Dallas? Really cool seeing him give some love to Rick Bunnell after the game yesterday. Uh, Nick Batum, how many points? Okay, I got a number written down. Yeah. Um, first off, yeah, Nick Batum had seven dunks in this first round series against Dallas. He had three his entire final season in Charlotte. So uh, let's just say Nick is a little more motivated than uh, he was uh, not too long ago playing within our own state. Uh, 11 points for Nick Batum against the Mavericks. He's got it right on the nose, doesn't he? He does. He, okay, it's it like he knew. It's it like he knew. What did you have, Josh? I had 18 written down. He, and it wasn't a bad game for Batum either. Didn't he almost no, have he, a, a triple double in one of these games? Maybe not. He, he's been awesome for them. He's been really, really good. Yeah, it wasn't. I, it was a good game for me, too, but I lost in overtime for the second time in three weeks. BG, <laughs> I've got The Bachelorette to watch tonight in addition to basketball. I know you're going to be breaking it all down at Guys underscore bird. We'll talk to you next week, buddy. Sounds good. Take care, guys. There you go. Robert Walsh, what do we got in Take It to the House?